Last week we finished up First Peter, and today we're going to start looking at taking a look at the book of Second Peter, and this is Peter's second letter, um, and he just simply starts it by saying, "Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ." There's that identity again. If you remember that little brief blurb I gave before the beginning of the season, talking about how your identity is found in Christ. That's how Peter identifies himself. Peter, the one who had so many failings and shortcomings, identifies as a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Twice in there it talks about how he has granted to us. He granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And this is just a reminder that that God gives us gifts, right? Not just the gifts of salvation. I mean, that's what he gave us, right? Granted us all things pertain to life and godliness, but also these great promises, these promises that we see throughout scripture, the promises that he's going to be our shield and our strength, the promise that he is going to never leave us nor forsake us, the promise that we have a hope that, you know, we have that hope that lies within us, that we have this hope that we hold on to, that one day we will see him face to face and spend eternity with us. These are the gifts that he has given us, and he's given us these great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So this is that idea of the put off, put on principles, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but now we've been made alive through Christ. And so what he's saying here is that we are partakers of the divine nature. And because of that, we have escaped the corruption of the world that is here because of sinful desires. The corruption that you see in the world all comes from the sinful desires of mankind. And this is why it's important for us when we talk to people who don't know Christ, when they want to talk about good people, they have to understand that everything they see evil in the world, all the brokenness, all the pain, all the heartache, all stems because of the sinful desires of mankind. We are not good. right? We are sinners. We are, we are rebels. And that's where you have to think about how we escape that, we escape that corruption as Christians by his power, by his might, and it is only by his grace that we can do that. That's why Paul says, is by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because Paul's also the one that says that he is the chief of sinners. Because Paul recognized that, just like Peter does, that without Christ, we are nothing. Without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And it was through his power and through his divine nature that we ourselves can be partakers in that divine nature and therefore escaping the corruption of the world. And this is why, for those of you who are Christians, you I think you would relate to this. And that's why like when I look at the world, it just all the mess, all the confusion makes sense when I look at it through the lens of Scripture. And I look at it and I just think, can't you see 
But the difference is, is that we have a divine nature that they don't have. We're partakers in that divine nature of Christ. Therefore, we can see our eyes are not blind. We can see why the world has so much pain. We can see why it, it you know, they do the things that they do. And it all stems from the sinful desires of mankind, from the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and the pride of life. That's what it comes from. It comes from our desire to be like God. That is pride. And we've already talked about pride and how it's a horrible thing, but it creates those sinful desires within our heart. And that is what leads to the corruption that you see in the world around you today. And the world is so corrupt, you don't even know what to trust anymore or who to trust anymore. And that corruption runs deep. And it doesn't have anything to do with the political party because I can guarantee you there's corruptions on both sides of the aisle. But it runs deep, stemming from the sinful desires of men. It says in verse 5, it says, For this very reason, because we have escaped the corruption um, in the world, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to have these qualities, and it's a long list of qualities. They're qualities that you're probably familiar with. You've probably heard this passage before, and we could break down each one and probably do an entire uh, session on each one, but I'm not going to do that tonight. What I want to point out, though, is in verse 8 where it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So this goes back to when we talked about failure, right? Because we, we recognize we need these qualities, and we have to have these qualities, and yet we tend to fail. But what he's saying here, too, is that they're going to continue to increase. These qualities should be increasing in your life. You should be more and more adding to your faith virtue. Or another word for this word virtue here is excellence, tying it back to where it says in verse 3, that through, uh, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Remember that it's all about his glory and his excellence. But it's a, you know, so it's faith, add to faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. These are the qualities that need to be increasing in our life. Because if we have these qualities that keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities. So if you have these qualities, you'll be you will be effective and you will be fruitful. But if you lack these qualities, you are so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, he uses the word forgotten here, and I'm going to tie back to that here in just a few minutes. But it says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. So I guess that's a question you have to ask yourself. Have you gotten to the point where you're so nearsighted that you are blind? Are you lacking these qualities? You have to do a self-check here, right? You have to be introspective and you have to look through your life and say, am I lacking faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love? Am I lacking these? Because if so, I'm so nearsighted, I am blind, forgetting that you are cleansed from your former sins. 
He uses the word former there. I love that because that ties back to Romans 6, which we've quoted a few times where it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin continue any longer therein? They are our former sins. They are not what, they don't have to weigh us down. That's why we can look at Hebrews chapter 12 and lay aside every weight and sin which so easily besets us. They belong in the past. Therefore, brothers, verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. We talked in the last couple of weeks about pride going before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you have pride, you will fall. But if you have these qualities, which are the opposite of pride, if you have these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 12 through 15, I want to read real quick. I because I think this is this is important. It says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. So Peter knows he's going to die soon because Jesus made it clear. And I will make every effort so that my departure, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. We talk about, we, I just talked about how if you lack those qualities, you have forgotten. You're so nearsighted, you have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sin. And hear what Peter is saying, I intend to always remind you of these qualities. Peter recognizes, Peter recognizes the need for us to be reminded this is why connection to a local church is important. This is why fellowship with other Christians is important. This is why reading your Bible over and over and over and over again is so important. Because we are a forgetful people. We forget. We forget what God has done in our lives. We forget the price that Christ paid on the cross. We forget that we are free from our sin. We forget what our purpose is. We forget of the hope that lies within us. We forget these things and we have to be reminded. He says it three times in this passage. He says, I, I intend to always remind you. And then in verse 13, he says, to stir you up by way of reminder. And then in verse 15, that you may be able at any time to recall these things. It is a constant reminder. We have to remember the promises that we have in Christ. We have to remember the qualities. We have to remember those qualities that we're supposed to have because we have been called to this. This is what our purpose is. This is what we have. This is the hope that lies within us. And we have to be reminded of this from time to time. I know I do. And sometimes God re brings those reminders in, in a lot of different and amazing ways. Sometimes it's, it's the pastor at your church preaching a sermon on something that you may have heard a hundred million times, but all of a sudden it just hits you right where you're at. Or maybe a song on the radio on your way home. If you're listening to Christian music, you, you, it may be something in a song that just God uses to remind you of who he is and of who you are in him. And maybe it's a podcast 
to remind you. I mean, that's kind of my goal here. If, if you've been saved for any period of time, if you've been in church for any period of time, I don't believe that anything I've told you in any of these podcast episodes, I don't believe any of them or anything you haven't heard before. There's nothing new under the sun. I can't tell you anything that you don't already know. I may be able to put a little bit different perspective on it, give you a nice little illustration. But at the end of the day, the truths of God's word stand forever, regardless of whether I say anything or not. But what I recognize is what Peter recognizes here. And I recognize it because Peter recognizes it here that we have to often be reminded. We have to be reminded over and over again of who we are in Christ and the qualities that we're supposed to have in him. Think about when you learn, right? When you teach children, I have four children. And so teaching children is something that I have to do on a regular basis. You have to teach them to do all kinds of things like not touch the stove. You have to teach them to put their uh, you know, put their dishes in the sink when they're done with dinner. You have to teach them to clean their room. You have to teach them to brush their teeth, to put their clothes on, to, to tie their shoes. You have to teach them to ride their bikes. You have to teach them to do all kinds of things that you have to teach your children. And I can tell you this, that I can't think of one thing right now that my children learned after the first time of me telling them to do it. It took constant reminder. I had to tell them, no, the stove is hot over and over and over again before they finally realized the stove is hot. I had to teach them how to tie their shoes over and over and over again before they learned how to tie their shoes. I had to remind them. I still have to remind them, put your dishes away after you're done eating. Take them off the table, put them in the sink. Still have to remind them that over and over and over because we forget so much. If you look throughout scripture, you see the common themes. You keep see the common things over and over. So I say that to challenge you with this. Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Where are you at in your, in your study of his word? Are you reading it often? Are you in church? Are you in Sunday school? Are you are you being reminded of the things that you need to be reminded of? And quite honestly, I'm probably, as the uh, adage goes, I'm probably preaching to the choir because, I mean, you're taking your time out to listen to a podcast. That's probably going a little extra mile. Not that you're getting anything of immense value out of this, but my point is that we have to be reminded. And that's okay. Because by repetition, you learn. You learn by repetition. Repetition. When I flew airplanes, we would have to do the same thing the same way over and over and over and over and over so that when the time came that I needed the information, it was there. I could recall it. That's what he says in verse 15, that you may be able at any time to recall these things. I'll share this one story with you before I'm done. When I was flying one day, I was right around 200 hour mark. And. Well, I'm, I'm be honest with you. That's about the time that you get complacent and you've learned all these different things. You've learned all these different maneuvers and you've practiced things over and over again. And you've had to learn emergency procedures and, and, and all of these different things. And I, I was up in the airplane by myself. It was a, it was a Cessna 182, uh, RG, which means it has retractable gear. And I'm up and I'm supposed to be practicing stalls, power off stalls. Uh, to be more specific. 
And what all that means, for those of you who don't know what that means, all that means is that I bring the I bring the throttle back to idle so that the propeller, the engine is virtually off. It's still running and the, and the prop's still spinning, but it's not doing enough to provide me with thrust. So it's at idle. And then I just bring the nose of the airplane up until I can no longer produce lift. And that's what they call a stall. And then what will happen is the airplane will start to fall. And as it falls, you have to recover. This is a, you're practicing for emergency procedures. And well, this particular day, I'd done this hundreds of times by, at this point um, throughout my short aviation career. I had, I had done this over and over and over and I got complacent. And as the airplane began to fall, I, I recovered and, and to recover, you lower the nose and you, and you put, and you go full throttle to get your speed up, to get your thrust up. And you, you do that to, to regain lift. But when I pushed the throttle in, I reacted too quickly and it was a fuel injected engine. And when I shoved it in, it dumped too much fuel into the engine and it starved it of oxygen and the engine stalled. It stalled for all of a half a second. It stalled all for I don't even think it was a full second that it stalled but that prop I, I heard the engine shut off and here's the thing there's two two big lessons out of this that I learned one as Christians it's easy for us to grow complacent in life we we go to church every single Sunday we we go to work every throughout the week. We read our Bibles every day. We pray every day. We do these things every day. We, they become so redundant that we are sometimes taken off guard because that's what happened to me. I was taken off guard by a stall that I was actually creating because I allowed myself to get complacent and distracted. We get taken off guard by something and we overreact. And it scares us. That was lesson number one, to not get complacent, to not get too comfortable. Because that's where the danger is. But the other thing that I learned that day was that all of the emergency training that I had gone through paid off. Because while I didn't have to perform an emergency landing because the engine came back to life and everything was okay. And while I didn't have to do some of those things, right, while I ended up being fine, I ended up being safe. I didn't end up with any kind of, in any too dangerous of a situation. In that split second that that engine shut off. As it came back to life, as it roared back to life, and I breathed a sigh of relief, I realized that without even really, I would say I almost did it un subconsciously, I had already gone to best glide speed, which means it's going to take me the furthest distance forward without losing, with losing the least amount of altitude. And I had already identified a suitable emergency landing site. And I did that in an instant. Why? Because I had had that drilled into me over and over and over and over by instructors. I didn't drill that into my own head. Somebody else did. That's why you have to be connected. That's why we have to teach each other. That's why we have to remind each other. So that, just like it says here in verse 15, and I will make every effort. Peter said, I'm going to make every effort to remind you. Every effort so that after my departure, so that when you are gone, right? This is why my flight instructors drilled it into my head because they knew there was going to be a day where I was going to be in that airplane by myself when the engine, when something went wrong. 
I mean, they don't know when or what, but when something goes wrong. And just like Peter says here, says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time, any time, emergency, non-emergency, it doesn't matter, any time to recall these things. So here's my question for you. Have you grown complacent in who you are in Christ? Have you grown complacent in going to church? Have you grown complacent in your scripture reading? Have you grown complacent in your prayer life? Have you grown complacent in the relationship that you have with Christ? And what's going to happen? Or are you doing these things? Are you reminding yourself? Are you making sure that you have these reminders in your life and give having it drilled into your head over and over and over so that at the right time when you need it, it's there and it's ready for you. That knowledge, those qualities that you need are there to help guide you and direct you and to help you navigate the emergency situations of life. That's what I'm trying to do here. Just remind you of the things that you already know. But also the importance, the importance of not growing complacent and the importance of remembering who you are in Christ and what your purpose is. Mm-hmm.